We're continuing our study in the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we are on uh, lesson number three. We're going to begin to look at the uh, petitions, uh, starting with the first one. So let's uh, seek God's help. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us together as your people. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for your word. I uh, pray that you would illumine your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would ready our hearts and minds to receive your word with humility and, uh, and eagerness. And I pray that uh, as, you, as we learn these truths, that we would apply these truths and live them out in our lives. Uh, thank you for what you will do. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're on uh, lesson number three in our series on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last week, we examined the basis of our prayer, what it is that makes it possible for us to pray to our Father in heaven. And we examined the first half of uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse 9, our Father in heaven. So as we studied that, uh, we learned about the fatherhood of God. And there are two schools of thought on the fatherhood of God, uh, namely the universal fatherhood of God, and secondly, the uh, particular fatherhood of God. The universal fatherhood of God was uh, uh, pr proposed by a German uh, church historian, Adolf van Harnock, and he posited that uh, because God had created us, created us we are all, by virtue of our creation, uh, the children of God. So God is the father of every human being. Uh, but that is not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible teaches that, uh, that we are the children, we become the children of God, not merely by virtue of our physical creation, but rather our f uh, spiritual creation. Uh, we are told that as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even those who believed on his name. So the fatherhood of God speaks to our adoption as sons and daughters into his heavenly family. And we looked at uh, the pronoun our, the significance of the pronoun our, and it speaks to the common bond that we share in Christ with every believer around the world, regardless of, of race and ethnicity. And we all have this common uh, bond in Christ, but also this common relationship with God as our Father in heaven. And uh, the, uh, the phrase, our Father in heaven, reminds us of how we ought to approach our, uh, our God in prayer. Our Father uh, speaks of God's familial endearment towards us, his eminence, uh, and in heaven, uh, speaks of his divine majesty, that is his transcendence. So we have to take both to our hearts and keep both in mind when we approach him in prayer. A.W. Pink says, quote, there are two things, namely God's imminence and transcendence that should ever occupy our minds and engage our hearts. The first without the second tends towards holy, unholy familiarity but the second without the first produces coldness and dread. By combining them together, our Father who art in heaven, we are preserved from both evils as we duly contemplate 
both the mercy and might of God, his unfathomable love, and yet his immeasurable loftiness. So that's a recap of what we examined last week, and that brings us to our passage in Matthew chapter 6. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be looking at uh, verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9, and following. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's uh, begin with some general observations about the Lord's Prayer itself. Kind of look at the forest uh, before we begin to look at uh, the individual trees within that forest. There are six petitions here. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So on examination of these petitions, we learn that uh, we are first drawn to focus on our spiritual needs uh, with the first three petitions and then to our physical needs with the latter three. Both John Calvin and Matthew Henry, they they see a parallel between uh, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and the Lord's Prayer in in the way that they are ordered. Uh, The first four commandments regard concerning, uh, concern God himself, our duty toward God, and the latter six commandments concern our uh, relationship uh, with our duty toward fellow man. So likewise here, we see that the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer concern God, his name, his kingdom, his will. And the latter three petitions concern our physical and spiritual needs. Uh, They also, uh, as as we will learn, uh, involve intercessory prayer, the latter three, as we intercede on the behalf of others their spiritual and uh, their physical and spiritual needs. So we begin to see a parallel of God being the highest priority in worship in both the Old and New Covenants. We see a parallel of God being preeminent both in law and in gospel. After all, God is the lawgiver and God is the gospel. So there are four things that we're going to uh, focus on. We will learn uh, in our examination of the first petition, and I do have an outline uh, for us to follow. The first um, point is what is the meaning of the name hallow or the word hallow? What does it mean to hallow God's name? The second, uh, why the emphasis on God's name? Uh, Thirdly, how not to hallow God's name, and lastly, how to, how to hallow God's name, and that uh, will lead us into application, and we'll end with uh, some questions and discussion. So let's look at the first. What is the meaning of hallow? We get the, uh, uh, 
we, we learn about the word hallow from the Greek word hagiatso, which means to make holy, consecrate, or sanctify. Sanctify also means to set apart. Now, this is quite puzzling when you initially take a look at it. Are we really being commanded by our Lord Jesus to make God holy? Isaiah's vision informs us that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So God is perfectly holy. So we see that our Lord Jesus is not teaching us to add to God's holiness or to make him more, more holy as if we could. Rather, he is teaching us, to uh, uh, instructing us to regard, to treat God's name as holy. Another way that the Lord could, uh, could have put it or, or communicating this to us is that we ought to honor, revere, and sanctify, set God's name above all others. And we will see that God, it, our Lord Jesus, is not alone in this. He is reaffirming prior uh, teaching of Holy Scripture when he calls us, when he commands us to hallow God's name. There are two verses of contrast that we will look at. First, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, when God, Yahweh, is giving the Decalogue to the uh, children of Israel, and as part of giving those uh, Ten Commandments, he commands his people, saying, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And the penalty for blasphemy of the name of the Lord uh, in the Old Covenant Israel was death. So God puts a, premier, uh, a premium on his holy name. God takes his name seriously. So he will not tolerate the profanity of his name or the vulgarity uh, with which it is used and has been used throughout human history. Therefore, Jesus is reaffirming the necessity of hallowing God's name. So that's uh, one perspective. The, the second perspective is uh, we see that later on in the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, here God tells the, uh, the Old Covenant people that he will establish his name among the people of Israel and make his dwelling among them. So while in Exodus, on the one hand, we see uh, the awesomeness and holiness of God's name, uh, where anyone who dishonors it or blasphemes it is put to death. And here in Deuteronomy, we see the, that God is making himself personable. Uh, uh, he is uh, being imminent in placing his name among his people to dwell among them. Let's pause here and reflect on who it is, remind ourselves who it is that is teaching us uh, how to hallow God's name. And that is Christ himself. And who better uh, to teach us than our Lord? He had shared the glory with his Father in eternity past. He had witnessed and experienced the reverence and awe with which the Father was worshipped by the angels and glorified saints, the church triumphant. Uh, Pastor Octavius Winslow, in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, says this, who could teach us this truth as Christ taught it? He only could read the dreadful syllables of that divine name. It was essentially in him. 
He had come from heaven with robes from which flowed the luster of holiness. Back to the, confi back to the confines of that heaven, he would lead us by teaching us that it was the metropolis of our Father and the great center of purity. He knew how God's name was hallowed there, with what solemn strains it breathed the harps of glorified saints, and with what trembling awe it dwelt among the lips, upon the lips of seraphim, seraphim and cherubim as they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He had come down to make it as hallowed on earth as is in heaven, end quote. So that brings us to our second point is uh, why the emphasis on God's name. Now Jesus could have taught us, uh, his disciples and you and I, his covenant people, hallowed be you, O God, or hallowed be you, our Father in heaven. Rather, he teaches us, hallowed be your name. Why the emphasis on the name? There are two reasons for that. And the first reason is we have to keep in mind Jesus's immediate audience. And who, who is it that he is teaching this model of prayer? We also have to keep in mind uh, who it is that Matthew had written this gospel account to, his immediate audience. And in both cases, the Jewish people are the immediate audience. The Old Covenant Jews held such a high regard for Yahweh that they would not even mention or call him by his revealed name in conversation and worship. Rather, when referring to Yahweh, they would literally say the name, and it was understood among them that the one that is being referred to uh, by the name was Yahweh. D. Martin Lord-Jones comments as such, quote, Whatever we may say about the Jews in Old Testament times, and however great their failures, there was one respect at any rate in which they were most commendable. I refer to their sense of the greatness and majesty and the holiness of God. You remember that they had such a sense of this that it had become their custom not to use the name Jehovah. They felt that the very name, the very letters as it were, were so holy and sacred, and they so small and unworthy that they dare not mention it. They referred to God as the name in order to avoid the use of the actual name Jehovah." End quote. So Jesus, in teaching us, hallowed be your name, is saying, hallowed be the name. Hallowed be you, O God. Hallowed be you, O Father in heaven. Christ's omission of God's name in the first petition highlights the reverence with which Christ himself regarded the Father in, hum in his humanity. Jesus says, I, yet I do not seek my own glory. And as he was pre preparing for his passion, he prayed this to his Father in heaven. Uh, turn with me to John chapter, let me find it first. Uh, John chapter 12. We're going to look at that. John chapter 12, verse 27. Here Jesus is um, uh, looking ahead to his passion that's coming up, having entered the Jerusalem triumphantly. 
he says this to, to God our Father. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Later on, Christ would say, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And what was that work that Christ had given, uh, uh, or uh, what was that work that Christ had accomplished prior to his death? He glorified the Father. He hallowed his name by his very life perfectly. He fulfilled all, all righteousness his act of righteousness that would be imputed to us for our adoption into God's family. So in being very Jewish in this regard, our Lord Jesus is underscoring the reverence and utmost adoration by which we ought to worship our God in prayer. That's the first reason for the use of uh, uh, the... uh, Sorry, lost my train of thought. That's the first reason for using uh, the name. Uh, in reference to to God. The second reason has to do with how God himself has revealed uh, to us, revealed himself to us through the various names in Holy Scripture. Uh, So since God is beyond creation and uh, above us as creatures, he has taken on certain human characteristics and that includes names. He's given himself certain names to help us understand the great extent of his character and nature. We understand him to be a spirit, to be spirit. So uh, we will see that he has done that so that we can better understand him. Throughout scripture, God has attributed to himself human characteristics for our understanding of him. This is known as anthropomorphism, So God describes himself in human terms and languages so we humans can understand and better know him. This uh, is from a resource, online resource, uh, blueletterbible.org, and it says, quote, Throughout scripture, God reveals himself to us through his names. When we study these names that he reveals to us in the Bible, we will better understand who God really is. The meanings behind God's names reveal the central personality and nature of the one who bears them, end quote. Now, depending on the source that you go to or the author, uh, I didn't get a proper count as to how many names of God uh, there are in the Bible but there are well over a hundred names by which God has revealed himself to us in Holy Scripture. And we will examine three of those names. Uh, The first name that God has, uh, that calls himself by, is the name El Shaddai. And it means All-Sufficient One, Lord God Almighty. And this occurs seven times in the Old Testament. El is another name that is translated as God and has been used in scriptures in conjunction with other words like Shaddai to describe the various aspects of God's character. In Genesis 17:1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. 
So here in this passage, God is telling Abram that he is almighty to perform for him what was humanly impossible of making of him a great nation as he remained childless at 99 years of age. God tells you and I and his covenant people throughout human history by his name El Shaddai that he is the all-sufficient one, the Lord God Almighty, who alone can do what seems impossible for us. The second name is the name El Elyon, the Most High God. And this name occurs 28 times in the Old Testament. 19 of those times are mentioned in the, in the book of Psalms. El, again, we've learned, uh, is translated to mean God. Elion literally means most high. In Psalm 7:17, the psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord, the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praises to the name of the Lord, the most high. Uh, I will sing praises to the name of El Elion. So we see that his very name evoke, uh, should evoke our praise and worship of him. He is El Elyon. There is none higher, none greater, none more worthy of our thanksgiving and praise in worship. The third name um, is the name Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of powers. So Jehovah and El, uh, Elohim, they occur with the, the name Sabaoth over 285 times. So the Lord has chosen to reveal himself through this particular name with greater regularity. Jehovah Sabaoth can be translated as the Lord of armies. His name teaches us that our God is sovereign. He is sovereign Lord over all, uh, all powers, earthly and heavenly. He is the ultimate commander-in-chief, if you will. Uh, the psalmist says, Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. He is the king of glory. So the name Jehovah is translated. It has a cu couple of ways by, uh, by which it's translated. The first way is uh, the existing one, or Lord. The chief meaning of Jehovah is uh, derived from the Hebrew word, Haveh, which means to be or to exist. Uh, look with me in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 14. Here God, um, Yahweh reveals himself to Moses through the burning bush. And Moses is hesitant to be sent um, uh, commissioned of the Lord to the people of Israel. He says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Um, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So the meaning of God's name Jehovah conveys a certain attribute of God, namely his aseity. By his very nature, God is self-existence. We derive our existence from God, the self-existent one. He has, is, and always will be in the state of being. 
we humans are in the state of becoming. We are changing, deteriorating since our birth, given our fallen nature. God is the constant, the one constant in our lives in a season of change, in a, a sea of change. And there is more to uh, the meaning of God's name Jehovah. The other meaning, uh, Puritan pastor Stephen Chernock says, the name Jehovah signifies this attribute. And he uh, quotes that statement from Exodus, I am that I am, I am hath sent me to you. And the attribute that it communicates to us is his immutability as well as his eternity. As it respects the essence of God, it signifies his unchangeable being from eternity to eternity. As it respects the creature, it signifies his constancy in his counsels and promises, end quote. The last meaning of the name Jehovah uh, suggests that it means to become or to specifically to become known. So this denotes a God who who reveals himself unceasingly to us. We know this to be true as God has revealed himself to us uh, through his written word, and God has also revealed himself to us through the living word, his uh, son, Jesus Christ. And he does that each and every day we open his word and study and meditate on his word. So this should give us great cause to praise Jehovah God for unceasingly revealing himself to us through the word. So, uh, here in the Lord's Prayer, hearkening back to the preface, our Father in heaven, his name takes a very personal nature to the fullest extent. God is named our uh, Father, our Father. He has fully availed himself to us through Christ by allowing us to call him by the name Father. He has granted to us the spirit of adoption that we may call him Abba Father, and so we should. And that brings us to our third point, how not to hallow God's name, how we should not hallow God's name. Hallowing God's name should not be paying lip service to our God. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, and Adonai, the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Pastor Terry Johnson says, our theology of prayer is our theology of Christian life. So rather than paying merely lip service to our God and confining hallowing of God's name to our prayer life, it should be our practice in every aspect of our lives. It should be a lifestyle of honoring and giving our El Elyon, our Adonai, his rightful place of worship in our lives. Sinclair Ferguson comments, the Lord's Prayer is not just a model of prayer or a model for our prayer, but also a model for our lives, the way uh, by which we conduct our lives. In Isaiah chapter 1, God declares that he has had enough of their sacrifices, referring to the old covenant uh, people of Israel. He says, bring no more vain offerings. He goes on to say, I will not listen to your many prayers. Rather, he pleads with his people to cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice for the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. 
So you see the, the prayers that were uh, uh, prayed to Yahweh by the old covenant people of Israel were not lining up with their lives. They lived their lives one way and they prayed a completely different way. So we, we ought to, by the power of your Holy, uh, God's Holy Spirit, fence our lives, uh, both in our prayers and in the way we live our lives. That brings us to our fourth point. In light of God's admonition of how now to hallow his name, how do we hallow God's name? How do we hallow God's name? So as you and I begin to pray, we must remember who we are and remember who God is. We're sinful in need of daily grace, and God is our Father in heaven, holy, majestic, yet has availed himself to us in such a tender way, is compassionate and loving towards us. In referring to our Father in heaven, A.W. Pink says, quote, if that tells us of God's goodness and grace, then this speaks of his greatness and majesty. If that teaches us of the nearness and dearness of his relationship to us, this announces his infinite elevation above us. If the words our Father inspire confidence and love, then the words which are in heaven should fill us with humility in awe and awe. So the preface itself, meditating on the preface, our Father in heaven, should, uh, will help us, will prepare us to hallow God's name. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, before you begin to make any petition, before you ask for anything, just realize that you, such as you are, are in the presence of such a being, your Father, which is in heaven. So pause, reflect, on, uh, reflect a few moments on the special relationship that you have with your Father in heaven and ask the Holy Spirit to praise, to help you praise and worship him in response. So there are two ways, uh, having uh, prepared our hearts based on uh, meditating on the preface to the Lord's Prayer as we enter, uh, come before him in prayer. Uh, the first way by which we hallow, uh, learn to hallow God's name is to call upon his name. We cannot uh, hallow God's name apart from prayer. So we need to make and uh, cultivate prayer being a daily habit uh, and practice with great regularity. Praise and adoration does not come easy. It never came easy to me. I want to go straight to petitions. <laughs> My laundry list of what I want God to do for me, but that is not what I ought not to, uh, that's not something that I ought to do. I ought to uh, praise and adore him. And it takes discipline, daily commitment. So uh, the psalmist reminds us, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So as we call upon his name in prayer and cultivate the habit of daily giving God praise uh, and, and reverence, uh, we begin to have a high regard for his holy name. Uh, we want to revere his name. One way in doing that is not to use his name in vain. Uh, Pastor Terry Johnson, uh, in his book on the Lord's Prayer, says, do not allow it to become a punctuation mark in your conversations. 
oh my, fill in the blanks, or various other ways in which God's name is used in vain. Uh, God says uh, 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 this of himself with respect to his name in Ezekiel 39. I will be jealous for my holy name. So as we begin to understand the high regard uh, uh, that God uh, holds his name with, we ought to be jealous for his name. We ought to guard his name from profanity, honor his name with humility, and uh, pray when we see people around us that we know, or even strangers, when they profane God's name and use his name with great vulgarity, pray that his name would be honored. And that lends itself, that readies our hearts to pray your kingdom come. You see, uh, uh, they're interconnected. Uh, uh, God's hallowing God's name, your kingdom, your will, unless you and I begin to have a high regard and uh, awe for God's name, we won't pray that his kingdom would come, that king, his kingdom would advance in such a way that his, his name would be hallowed and revered uh, uh, in, in human society. So that brings us to our application. There's one point of application that I have for us, and that has to uh, do with the study and meditation on God's word. There are various definitions for prayer. Prayer is talking to God, having a conversation with God. Um, in Table Talk, one of the articles um, had this to say about prayer. It's pretty uh, succinct. Uh, prayer is our response to God's word. So when you and I open God's word, uh, we study the passage before us, take the time to meditate on it, uh, um, may, maybe uh, underline what, what stands out to you, journal, write down what stood out to you, and uh, talk to God as to what it is that you have learned about God uh, in that passage. As one pastor put it, the first order of business in prayer is to talk to God about God. So the way that we go about doing that is through study and meditation of God's word. Reflect and meditate on his names, the meanings that those names convey to us, how God has made himself known to us through those names. Reflect and meditate on the passage that you read and talk to him about what you have learned. And I don't want to come across being dogmatic on this, but. Uh, if you can at all, start out earlier in the day. The earlier you start, it sets the tone of your day. It readies you to do that spiritual battle, to, be, uh, uh, to not only honor his name when you, when you do so in your closet, in your prayer closet, but honor and allow his name in how you live out that day. And uh, when, you, when you see that it's not being hallowed, then it it readies your heart, it opens your heart to pray that his kingdom would come so that his name is hallowed. So I have a couple of questions that I've drafted. Um, the first question is, and I'm open to any other questions or comments that you may have, and if you could wait for the mic to get to you so we could all, all hear you. The first question is, uh, in what way does the priority of hallowing God's name in prayer change you?
Mark. I would say that hallowing God's name is prayer um, is effective because it is when we look at the means of grace that it, prayer is the means through which God bestows grace on us. So hallowing his name is, is for our good too. I mean that's the way you know when we talk about growth as Christians you know, using the, the uh, ordinary means of grace and prayer being one of them I just think that that's how God would do it so that's my answer Amen Jan Um, the most incredible thing will happen when we begin to study his holiness and in Isaiah 6 just those short six verses there in Isaiah 6 is the most incredible opening of our heart to his holiness and when he begins to open our heart to his holiness, his power, um, his grace becomes so evident and, and he just does incredible things through us and to us um, that it's, it's just lovely, that's all I can say. Rita. I think it also prepares us um, for times of suffering because when you, um, <clears throat> the verse that come, came to my mind uh, when I was going through suffering was, you know, um, uh, the verse that says, you know, which of your earthly father would give you a stone if you ask for a bread. So if you learn to hallow God, you would understand suffering better that it's good amen any other comments on the first question one of the things that I saw um, was uh, it as we begin to hallow God's name and cultivate that daily in our lives is it uh, it nurtures humility in us. The more we see God's glory and the more we experience how mighty, how powerful, and yet how compassionate and loving our Father is, uh, how sinful you and I are, it, it humbles us. And uh, one of the biblical examples that comes to my mind is Moses. And uh, it's not the testimony of man, the testimony of Holy Scripture says Moses was the most humble man uh, uh, among men. And he was not perfect. He was sinful. And he had sinned greatly. But yet, Moses 
had this face-to-face interaction with this holy God, and he was known to have said, show me your glory. And the more he saw God's glory, uh, the more humble it became. It changed him for the better. So that's why the devil doesn't want you and I to pray biblically, to pray aright, because he wants that pride in our lives and within our church, and that's where the damage happens. Um, okay. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, just, it was interesting. The, the next, for those who don't know, I'm a fantasy author, and I put a lot of allegory into my fantasy. Um, and the, the book I'm writing right now, it, the major theme is set-apartness, sacred. Th- th- there is something sacred in the world that is set apart. And um, because of the theme of the book, I've been thinking a lot more on it. And I try to send out like an Easter message to my readers who are mostly ladies. And most of them identify as Christian, not all of them. But something that it really got me thinking was our world today is so built around comfort and ease. And the goal is not to have to put on pants anymore. You could just wear pajamas all the time. And the goal is to, you know, and this is not to get into you must dress up for church. But the goal a lot of times is to be as comfortable as we can at all times. And to never have to do anything outside of our comfort zone. And I think really remembering that there are sacred things in this world. Things that point us outside of this world. That This is not the point. The point of this world is not comfort. It's a good thing because it grounds us and it keeps us um, aware of our surroundings and aware that we're not living for ourselves. And honestly, I think that's a huge reason for the the despair that we're seeing among many of our youth and that, you know, many in generations, Gen Z and the millennials, they don't, they stop going to church is because it's the same as everything else. Why would we go if it's just about us? We could do that at home. And I think the more aware we are of the fact that there are things that we are to be set apart because God is set apart, the more we're going to live our lives with purpose and have purpose, if that makes sense. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Last question. I think we have a couple more minutes for that. Uh, Second question. What are some ways in which you can intentionally and faithfully prioritize praising and glorifying God in prayer? Dave. I think you answer it in the question itself and intentionality and prioritization. Um, And then as well, uh, not skipping, you you mentioned directly to supplication, uh, but but taking the time and um, understanding who it is that we're talking to. Uh, Understanding that the, the, one of the reasons that we hallow the name of God is uh, the, you know the means by which we can call him father, uh, and so uh, re- reflecting on that and reflecting on who it is that we're talking to um, intentionally and with priority is uh, uh, the key. Well said, thank you, Dave. I think one of the uh, helpful things, if you have a regular quiet time or time of devotion is to use a hymn book Mm. and go to some of the great hymns of the faith or maybe a praise song that focuses on a particular I've sung to the Lord 
he does not critique my singing, so I have a good time. <laughs> and then I, I'm not averse to using other means of uh, devotional books that Christian authors have written just to sort of warm my heart up because it gets cold. Um, in the Presbyterian tradition, we're not afraid of those who came before us and uh, benefiting from what they have to say. I probably have 25 devotional books that I use in those times. I read other prayers. I have a book by Spurgeon on prayer that I read. And uh, what, a, what a prayer warrior he was. And just, uh, but yeah, I think Dave was right in saying intentionality. But I've been a Christian for well over 50 years. And uh, so, you know, being all original ain't all that great either. Sometimes it's good to learn from others mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So it just makes your, that devotional life much more rich. Yeah, yeah, I think that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one last uh, question. I think we've got a minute. One way that I've done it, and it's, this is going to sound really silly, but every time I see a penny on the, the ground, I pick it up, and that is a cause for prayer to thank God for his provision. Amen. And I always pick up a penny. I, you know, I used to say, I'm not going to pick it. Now it's, 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 I do it to pray. I used to do it whenever I used to eat a jalapeno, because jalapenos, man, they're so full of zing. And it's just like, oh, God, you've made food so fascinating and interesting. But unfortunately, in my old age, I, I can't eat jalapenos. But I, I think it's good to not just have a habit of regular prayer, but have something that triggers prayer. You know, whatever it is about your life that is wonderful or, you know, gives you happiness or whatever. It's just a, kind of a trigger to, to go into prayer. I'm in a tag team. Um, so one of the very practical, helpful things, um, you've mentioned acts the, as a pattern. And um, as I learned more about adoration and hallowing his name, I realized I was often, often categorizing that more as thankful, thankfulness, which turns it back on me. And so just to acknowledge that adoration is not about me, even though God has been good to me, but to focus on him and his attributes and qualities. That's just been very helpful to not feel so selfish about prayer. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and close. Thank you guys for the, uh, the comments. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time again that we could examine uh, your word on prayer. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you'd continue to work in us to hallow your name uh, in prayer and in our lives and continue to prepare us for worship. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>